Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Hello, Dream Festers. Welcome to another edition of the Dream Fest podcast. This is the show where I invite a special guest to curate their Dream Festival lineup. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on the Brum Radio podcast channel and to leave us some nice reviews wherever you listen to your pods. Or if you can just give us a follow on Twitter at DreamFestPod uh, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash DreamFestPod. Today we are talking to poets author and musician, Mr. Sean Hand. Sean, to date, has published three books, including Pop Art Poems, The Music of the Jam, The New Brutalism, a collection of poems, and his current book, released on Valentine's Day 2021, called The Sadness of the King George, which we talk a little bit about in this podcast. And of course, I'll provide some links for you uh, to check that out for yourself. Sean is also a musician, primarily in the guitar department. Previously, he was in Bluebeat Orchestra, which then amalgamated to its current form in the wonderful Fabrique, uh, who to date have released two critically acclaimed albums called City Islands back in, I think, 2017, and their most recent Impermanence, which was released last year, which was also nominated for uh, Best Album at the Brum Radio Best of 2020 Awards. Now, you are listening to this which means there is no Patreon this week. Yeah. Why is that? Well, I thought it was about time that you deserved little treats. We've had lots of lovely new listeners, and I thought I'd give you some lovely benefits. So there's no Patreon this week, so you are now listening to what would have been the Patreon episode. So you will find out who Sean will be hanging out with backstage at his festival. You'll also find out who Sean will jump on stage with and play that one special song, and... Who makes Sean's ultimate band lineup? Yes, all those would be included in the Patreon, but you are getting them this week for free because you're such a lovely, lovely bunch. Thank you very much to everyone who shared and liked and followed and spread the word. We've uh, had listeners from all over the world now, including now Ireland. Ireland has now joined. Uh, <laughs> Ireland has now jumped on board. So thank you very much to Ireland for doing that. Let's spread it across more countries, please. That would be very, very helpful indeed. Uh, so more people can listen to it and uh, more people can get on board uh, as we can't really do much in terms of live music at the moment. So we can we can but dream. Uh, so I'll be back at the end with all those handy dandy links. But for now, let us join Mr. Sean Hand as he takes us through what would be his dream festival lineup. Enjoy. <laughs> to write before I could play guitar or anything like that. I used to write, sort of write songs even though I couldn't play guitar, you know what I mean? I'd write lyrics. Eventually, it was about five, it was when Bluebeat split up. started doing uh, a bit more of it and found Poetry Nights and went to them. And then took a break from it to write the novel. I lost my job six weeks before Neve was born. You know how it is sometimes when you have like, when you lose your job and stuff, you get like kind of, right, I'm going to use this one, I'm going to go and do everything I've ever wanted to do and stuff. And mm. one was poetry books, so... Did it with um, a guy called Tom Hicks. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, only through researching the book. <laughs> All right. Anyway, he's on Instagram. I first found him. can't remember how, but... Um, uh, sorry, I've just got to let the cat in. Um, <laughs> it's vitally important the cat comes in. Go on, Scratches at the... Uh, we haven't got a cat flap and she scratches at the um, French window. Or pours at the French windows and sound drives you on the wall after a while. Yeah. What, what's your cat's name? Hattie. Hattie. Hattie the Catty. <laughs> Hattie the Catty, yes. After a character in an old kid's thing. But yeah, Tom Hicks is on um, Instagram as Black Country Type and Brum Type. He does like photo walking tours of um, around Birmingham and Black Country and takes photos of dilapidated old gates and doorways and stuff. Artistically, I find it quite funny as well, some of it. It's a bit of humour in it. Though. And so I've still never actually met him in person. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, um, it was all done through. I thought I was pissed one night and was like, 
I've got some posts. Would you want to put some photos to? So yeah, okay. So, yeah, got a thing together with um, this tiny little press in Dudley. This guy who um, usually puts out. He does a bit of poetry, but he usually puts out like very specific local history books, like the history of the Seventh Dudley Scout Group and stuff like that. But he very kindly published it. So that's where that's at. Also, you can't really because there are no poetry nights. That's very true. But we are looking, well, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now, hopefully. Yes. So. Is there, or is there anything uh, online that you could have, that you could be doing? Any uh, sort of posting uh, online? I mean, because we found we've, because um, um, the Fabric album came out in July and we we had things booked up. We were meant to be playing Sound City uh, in Liverpool and we had a couple of festivals and they went, they ended up being virtual. And it's kind of, even though it's things you have to do, kind of keep it moving no disrespect to people who put in the work to organize them they end up being a bit of a washout really or they end up being a bit disappointing because it's just not the same really i mentioned that maybe you could do some some readings for you are you up for doing that or do you reckon you could do one for us now and then maybe one at the end that'd be cool okay yes of course um let's just see yeah we'll do this one so it's got a kind of a musical link to it as well okay and what's this called this is called Bleak Expression. It's a pun on the uh, specials tune. Two-tone was the only thing your dad ever had, and he managed to misunderstand that. Thinks that the Muslims want to ban pork pie hats. Says he never votes, so he didn't vote for that. And he don't like that weller when he gets all political. These millionaire rock stars will get so hypocritical. If he won't reform the jam, he should work like me. He'd soon turn Tory doing 50-hour weeks. I hope I die before they make puppies illegal. Ray said the band England tops in the Turkish Men and Eagle. Facebook's man so paranoid, he started hearing voices, and all they ever talk about is grooming gangs and ISIS. I personally hope you pack if you don't like our walls. Well, it'd relieve the pressure of knowing so much about football that it leaks from his ears and out the takeaway, seeps into the gutter and drizzles down the drain. Just like this shit old country has since Charles and Di got knighted. Right around the time, in fact, he got his first job. It's the blur of different pasts of perception with the truth. But if he could live it all again, Ghost Town would only get to number two. Very nice. Thank you. I like that. Well, poetry gigs, I didn't realise until when Beck and I went to one, the first one I performed, an old Mike and King's Eve. And when people like a line, they click. Have you seen that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa's reading beat poetry in a bar somewhere? No. I think it's one she pretends she's older than she is and goes off somewhere and she's there reading um, like poetry around their bear and all these people going... So when we were, we were sat in this place and all those people were clicking around, it was really, really bizarre. So what about, uh, so you got this, uh, you've got your debut novel coming out as well next year. There's the, yeah. uh, the Sadness of the King George. Sadness of the King George, yes. Uh, so t- tell us a bit about that. The Sadness of King George is um, set in a pub in Sutton Coldfield, um, which is where I'm from and where I worked at a pub for many years. And it's basically, it's kind of like a, coming of age story really it's set in summer 2005 and it's about this kind of neurotic self-obsessed um, very nervous kid who's about to turn 21 and it's kind of just drifting really to that point where he's finished school he's finished college and doesn't know what he wants to do and he's just kind of stuck which I think I know I was at that point and I know a lot of other people were and you kind of you still you're evading, you're avoiding responsibility. You only see the world in terms of what you don't want to do, you know, unless you're lucky enough to know what you want to go for. It's kind of about that kind of stuck period where, and so you just end up working in shit jobs and, um, well, no, not shit jobs, working in minimum wage work, having too many lions, getting drunk too often and just drifting through life. So it's about, it's about that and about perhaps some of the less pleasant side of uh, working in kind of small town pubs. I've experienced, you know, the kind of uh, some of the attitudes, you know, some of the ignorance. Yeah, I right. suppose there's also the, the decline as well as of the of the local pub mm-hmm. in recent years. Yes, that's yeah, that's a theme as well. Uh, because on a stress for legal reasons, it's not directly based on the pub I worked at the time. Otherwise, <laughs> I'll, I'll never be allowed to. I'd never be allowed back in Sutton again. But because I worked in pubs for 15 years, and so it was kind of when I first started working in a pub, it was kind of the last gasp of that kind of world of kind of you know overfilling ashtrays and blokes with handlebar moustaches drinking eight pints and all that sort of <laughs> eight pints of tetleys, all that kind of yeah. the yard of ale. Yes, 
uh, before Craftdale and before hips, you know, before it became hip, you know, yeah. when drinking ale was like the worst, you know, worst thing you could do. So I started just in the kind of twilight of that world. Blokes who uh, know what they like and like what they know. And this bad kid is sort of caught up in all that and he doesn't know who to believe and doesn't, he just doesn't know what he wants to do. So he's kind of paralysed, you know. Is it a little bit um, based on yourself and your experiences? Oh, yeah, of course. And then bits sort of picked up from people unknown over this and stuff I've just made up. But it's like creative writing, first rule of it is write what you know, really. So but then I've, yeah, I've magnified it for a dramatic effect, otherwise it'd be really, really boring. <laughs> well, um, boring and maybe even scarier yeah. than it probably is. That's true. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. It's, I want it to, be, it to be very real. But at the same time, you've got to make it entertaining. So there's kind of, there's a love interest in there and you know so. mm. is that how you met your partner was it in a in a bar is that no I met her, no I met her at university studying creative writing um, ah. this is more based on the things that happened before that <laughs> yeah yeah and it's at a time as well when I think because it's set in 2005 at that point we didn't really have the words that we have around things like anxiety and mental illness that we did we didn't have the openness so the characters of all the characters are obviously in tox, really toxic relationships with each other and projecting and unhappy and whatnot, but they don't know they are because that didn't particularly exist at the time, you know. Yeah, and the, the, medis, the medicine and the, the advice back then would have been man up, I guess. Yes, it's that kind of, oh, there must be something wrong with me. I must be, you know, I must be mad. I must be fucked up, you know. I'm having a nervous breakdown. And yeah, stuff and things like phrases like white privilege toxic masculinity we didn't have the, those things existed but we um we had we didn't identify them as such you know well, so, like certainly in that small town world you know yeah so that book comes out next year so 14th of feb is that right i got that right 14th of february yes um lovely uh love story for valentine's day yes good stuff uh well most people may know you from your work your guitar work with Fabrique yes how's how things been going as as a band sort of over lockdown how you got have you guys coped well it, we've done all right actually because because of the way we set because we don't have a drummer a hell of a lot of stuff's done on laptops we've so have you still managed, managed to, to write and record stuff over lockdown uh, we have yeah we haven't done too much because it I mean it fell quite nicely because we'd finished our album and that had been mastered and um, was all ready to go when all this started. And we just moved out of our studio as well. Um, so we all had our equipment with us. So we've done a bit. We did a cover of Cause on Film uh, by Joran Joran. We did that entirely remotely. And we we did one of those performances where you all perform separately in your living room and then edit them together. We did one of them. So, yeah, there was about... We had a couple of festivals that got um, obviously cancelled, postponed, including Sound City, which was a wound because that was because uh, that's like a massive industry showcase. So hopefully they'll have us back next year. But I mean, it's given us time to do other other things, I suppose. Um, and Inzi, our um, keyboardist, he's and Pete Mac, he's living in Spain at the sex. So uh, he's in Spain. He's in Spain. Yeah, his um, his girlfriend's Spanish. They're living in um, Madrid at the moment. Oh, okay. so, so I don't we wouldn't have been able to do much anyway um, and the plan really was to focus on promoting the album anyway a lot of which if you're not a live band like us um, if you focus more on recording a lot of stuff's done online anyway but I was a bit I was gutted I was meant to be in um, Sam Redmore's backing band as well oh really uh, yeah he was taking his solo stuff live and so I was meant to be playing uh, mostly jazz I was meant to be playing Shambhala and so another really good one, I can't remember, which I forget. Yeah, me and Hayley, our singer, were meant to be doing it. So, uh, but it's stuff to look forward to next year, isn't it? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I was talking to someone else about this, and um, they're finding that a lot of people who were supposed to be doing festivals this year, they're just basically just bumping everything to next year. So, yeah. I think uh, you've been with a good chance of uh, just being on the same bills as, as you would have been this year. And maybe even a couple more if other people can't make it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to talk to you about um, about live music as well. Okay. Uh, and a couple of the questions I like to ask people are, do you remember the first gig you ever went to? I do, actually. Um, and funnily enough, uh, we were watching it the other night. It's on YouTube. It was um, Status Quo live in Sutton Park in 1992. For, 92, uh, wow. It was um, a big gig for Radio 1's 25th anniversary. Right. Which is really bizarre if you think about it now, like, 
It's on YouTube. It's called Live the Live. I think it's Live Quote, Live the Live Quote. Uh, and it opens up and it's got um, footage of them backstage with the really old DJ. Is it Alan Freeman? Fluff, did they call it? Those sort of hey, pop pickers. Yeah. yeah. Him and Status Quo holding a birthday cake. It's. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine something like you know, Radio 1 doing that now? But um, yeah, I went with, I would have been eight at the time. Yeah. And I went with, uh, we were with my mum, my brother who'd have been five, and my nan and granddad. Wow. Um, were they, so was it a, fa- a family quote outing? Yeah. Well, it was um, while we were living in Sutton, um, not far from the park. And it was on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening, and it was free. So. Free gig, wow. Free, free, yeah, free festival, baby. I that suppose for the BBC, I suppose, it, you know, there's a good chance it would have yeah. been. I'm told, I think, I may have seen a bit of Delamitri as well, but I've got no memory of, I just remember Status Quo being on. So that was, yeah, I was, that was my first gig when I was eight. And did you uh, follow Quo? Did you become no. a bit of a fan of Quo? Or <laughs> was that the only time? For a long time, I, I told people that my first proper gig was um, Squeeze. Right. At the, uh, at the Symphony Hall when I was 11, because that was indoors, so it made it proper. Yeah. <laughs> and that just black out the fact I saw E17 in Cannonell Park when I was back then. Oh, but, uh, dear. That was a R&B party in the park. That was. Uh, I did a similar thing when I was 15, I think, but oh. uh, it was Lionel Richie headlining, so oh. incredible, well, incredible. Yeah, he's. I think he's gone past the thing now. He's... He's one of those people who's survived long enough to become become credible. He was still but, pretty uh, credible then, I think. Um, I, I quite enjoyed it. Mm, I, I only know. Um, I suppose I knew his. I only knew him as all the kind of eighty stuff on that's on Heart FM every ten minutes. Um, yeah. I suppose going back and looking at the Commodores. Yeah. Although we always we used to have this theory in Bluebeat that he'd um, he'd kind of infiltrated the Commodores to take them away from funk and take them over to. Uh, <laughs> Take them a bit more middle of the road, yeah. yeah Sculpture based balladry. That's uh, yeah. Um, I, I do love a bit of Lionel. I don't. I don't mind it. I don't. Mind no, I'm, I'm more open to it these days. There's uh, sort of ten, fifteen years ago, the punk in me would have been, you know, the purest. <laughs> yeah. But status quo aren't um, the same hasn't happened for status quo. Apart no. from they're really er- they're really early stuff's good, like the psychedelic stuff, mm. stuff like pictures of matchstick men. Yeah, yeah. I really like that kind of stuff, but I did have an internal battle over whether I could like it because it was status quo. <laughs> that was, I was much younger. This was when I was about 14, 15. Yeah. Now it's just a great record. So. Yeah. Well, see, I, I, I mean, you, you've probably been to many, many gigs over, over the years. Yeah. Have you got a, could, is there anything you could pick out as the best gig you've ever been to? Ooh, I haven't actually been. I've probably, I possibly played more gigs than I've been to as a punter. Definitely more festivals. Mm. I think I've only been to one festival where I wasn't playing, and I saw some great people there. That was V in two thousand and five, where the Lars were playing. Okay, that was really rare because they'd been, you know, split up for ages. Did John Powers join them for that one? Yeah, it was the original lineup. It okay. was, and they were really low down the bill. It, it was um, they're on the main stage at like one in the afternoon. But I, I adored the, absolutely adore the Lars. So. Um, that was amazing. Um, I saw Toots and the Maytals at the old Academy 2. Yeah. Wow. I think that was in about 2007. And they, yeah. that was amazing. And it was, I think they were doing some low-key warm-ups. I think they were going on tour with the Stones or something. Right. Um, and it was it was really fascinating because the audience was like perfectly divided, as I remember. There was a kind, there was Rasta there and, you know, old Jamaicans. And there was a lot of punks. Yeah. And, stuff. and then there was the mod scar crowd as well um yeah. and i actually bumped fist with him as well so it's did you yeah well he was he did that he did his showman thing he did you know 54 46 where he goes give it to me one time to, you got up to 23 <laughs> <So> <laughs> he goes, oh, no one's ever done 23 before only birmingham you think, oh yeah okay uh, then he jumped off stage and he was going along the front row like sort of high-fiving everyone and so i'm, I'm having some of it so <laughs> came to me and I just I stuck my fist out and he sort of he, he bumped fist. I was like, ah, sorry, I had um I had tickets to see Toots probably about eight years ago I think it was, mm. um but it got cancelled because um someone had thrown a vodka bottle at him on a a oh, separate okay. show and it hit him in the head and it was it caused him quite a lot of uh, damage so he had to cancel the rest of his tour. Who, who does that man? Oh, I know, especially, I know. especially Toots man. You don't do. That. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fortunately, I had already seen him at, at Glastonbury like a couple of oh. years ago, so I didn't miss out too much. But yeah, yeah, obviously, we lost him this year as well, so I was pretty yeah, good. Oh, yeah. so when we saw him, I mean, it's one of those things, like 2007. I'm at the age where that seems like three or four years ago, and it was well over a decade ago, and he was, I mean, he looked amazing. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else I've seen who was really great. Uh, we went to see, Beck, my wife and I went to London to see uh, Rasheen Murphy um, about four or five years ago. That was amazing. Um, she just puts on just a pure show, you know. Mm. I'm trying to think. I used to, The main thing, we used to go and see um, Paul Weller a lot. Used to be my early twenties. That was the thing we go and me and my dad, and my brother, we go and see Ocean Colour Scene and Paul Weller whenever they came yeah. around. So I've seen some. I've seen Weller. Seen there's some brilliant Weller gigs I've been to. Some not so good. I saw him at Royal Albert Hall when I was oh, yeah. maybe, maybe fourteen. I think. I think oh, okay. Was it was I fourteen? It might have been a bit later than that. Actually, I think Heliocentric was the. L- oh, that was that was two thousand. That was. Was it? Well, I was I was never eighteen when I saw him. Yeah. Maybe it was just before heliocentric. But yeah, I went with a, a friend who just like randomly had a ticket to go see Paul Weller at Royal Albert Hall. So I saw him at Aston Villa Leisure Centre a couple of times. We went to, I think, I can't remember the furthest. Oh, me and my dad went to see him in Land Udner. You, you wrote a book, didn't you, about, about the jam and that sort of stuff? Did, Yes, that was my first book four years ago. It was like a song by song analysis. If you've ever read Revolution in the Head, uh, the book about the Beatles, mm. it's a really great book song by something my version of that for the jam is that is that still available to to get i actually sold the i had a thousand copies printed and i sold the last one a month or two ago ah well done nice though thank you they were sat in boxes in the back room for uh four years i'd like to do a a kindle version so that it's just there and i don't have any more boxes take any room but um there's other things i want to, it's not high on my list of priorities didn't he recently complete some sort of record about having a number one album in the last sort of five decades now is it or something or yes he did didn't he his first one album was 1982 what's that in decades 80s 90s no we haven't got a name for the tens yet Te- teenies the teenies I, I often wonder about that what we're going to look back on i mean what did what do people in the 60s call it <laughs> I, I in the 19, 1910s? The 1910s? Nineteen-teenies? I don't know. No, the, te- the teenies, teenies sounds depressingly inevitable for what they're going to be called, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. The tens and then to it. Yes, I suppose. Yeah, that's five decades. Yeah. And I imagine, uh, I don't know if he had any number one albums with the jam in the 70s, did he? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, he didn't have... The last Jam album um, was number one in 1982. Uh, uh, Scott, a couple got into the top ten in the 70s. That's some good uh, Weller knowledge, man. Yeah, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> I wrote the book. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, my final question on live music is, do uh, I mean, uh, this This is going to be a, a while ago now. Um, it's going to seem like a while ago. Do you remember the last gig you went to? There wasn't uh, one of your own? It wasn't one of my own. Oh, God. I think. Oh, oh no, I tell you, it was um, Squeeze. With the oh, Squeeze. Squeeze, yeah, again. I have been to see more than three bands. <laughs> uh, but we went to see Squeeze, me and my brother who's a big Squeeze fan, we went to see them in Leicester, mm. and that would have been about a year ago, maybe, last October something. Um, and they were they were really great. Did um, It was one of those things where they played the greatest hits, uh, but they also played like obscure things off early albums, which is um, great because I'm a mad Squeeze fan as well. So. so yeah, that was the last one I went to. Okay, well, I've invited you here today uh, because we are going to do a Dream Festival lineup. So basically I've organised this festival Mm-hmm. Um, I've organised the, the stages and the lighting and the wristbands and the food trucks and all of that sort of stuff but silly me I forgot to book any bands you probably so spent I'm... money on all the other uh... <laughs> I just I just ran out of time and just thought oh, oh. I completely forgot to do this I need so I'm going to need some help but fortunately I have the use of a handy dandy time machine yeah. uh, in which you get to choose the form of which you use this time <laughs> machine so you could, for instance, use the DeLorean, or you could uh, go for the phone box, Salad Bill and Ted, or um, the Hot Tub Time Machine, or you can choose anything you want. It could be, uh, I think we've had a galleon ship on here before, or a hot air balloon. Up to you. How, how do you want to travel? I will, I'll just go on the train. Go on the, tra- <laughs> the time yeah. machine train? I'll go on the train, but with everyone else who's going to the festival. Yeah. So have a, we can have a drink and get a vibe going, you know. Yeah, so it's going to be a fully fully stocked buffet cart, I imagine. Yeah, and well, I assume I'm not going to be the only person at this festival. No, you're not. Oh, that's good. It's, so it's going to be yeah. Uh, it's going to be selected people that obviously you know and trust. <laughs> They're oh, going to have a good time. Me and four of the people. 
that's fine. Yeah. You can have four people. That's up. No, fine. no, I'd love loads of people, but I've, we've we've all got to. Everyone's got to get there, isn't they? So uh, yeah. True. Yeah, we'll, on, we'll, we'll get on the train from New Street. Good idea. Okay, wonderful. So you're getting on the train. So you can basically select anyone you know, from musical history, past or present, and they can be artists you've never seen before, uh, you never got to see, any genre, any lineup whatsoever. Uh, and you did travel down there the day before the festival opens. So there's some bars open, you can have a few drinks and whatever. So you can have a bit of a late night. And the next morning the festival's going to start and there's some music to wake up to. In fact, they're right outside your tent. Who is going to be your wake-up call? I'm going to get woken up by Lord Kitchener. Really? Yeah, not the not the um, not the guy off the World War One posters. I was <laughs> going to say that's it's, a bit of a weird yeah, one. The, um, the time machine took a wrong turn. In. Um, no, Lord Kitchener, the Calypso singer from Trinidad. I think he was from. In, ah. In the well, he came and then he came over to London, as I understand, as part of the uh, Windrush um, and his music. It'd be Perfect to wake up to because it's kind of happy and optimistic, but it's not too in your face, and it's got a lovely warmth about it and a lot of humanity. I funny, I first heard him at the festival actually. Um, I heard someone playing um, one of his tunes um, called "London Is the Place for Me," which he wrote when he came over, and it's um, lovely. It's kind of poignant here in the lyrics because of how things subsequently turned out. But um, yeah, there's a really great compilation. It's Damon Albarn's record label. Did called London is the place for me, mm. which is I forget the subtitle, but it's something like Calypso in London, nineteen forty-eight to fifty-two or something. Mm. And it's all these. Cause obviously, when people came over at that time, they bought their own music, and these all these songs, as Lord Kitchener, and they've all got wonderful names like that. And they're almost like um, letters home, or like mm. newspapers. One about a tube train. There's one about a test match. There's one about um, going to the coronation. Yeah, it's beautiful music. It'd be lovely to wake up to, I think. Excellent. I'm going to look that up, actually. That sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highly recommend. Brilliant. Okay, well, you've managed to wipe the sleep from your eyes and you've uh, dropped a couple of painkillers uh, and you've had yourself a nice hearty breakfast. So the festival is about to start. Mm-hmm. Who is setting the tone and putting out the festival vibes? Who is going to open your show? Uh, the Slits are going to open the show. Wow. Nice choice. Um, Energy, Yeah. Yeah, well, specifically, they line up there around about 1981, where they had um, a very young Nena Cherry with them as well. Ah. Uh, I think she was literally about 14 or 15, and they had her and the drummer from the pop group, whose name I forget, Bruce something. Yeah, there's some live footage of them from around that time. In the, There's a documentary about them, which came out a couple of years ago, and there's some live footage of them playing in Germany around that time. It's just mind-blowing. They're just amazing. Quite a good show as well. Lot, you know. Excellent choice. Like I say, lights of energy. That's going to get people uh, perked up for the rest of the day, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Give them a bit yeah. of an adrenaline boost. Okay. Well, we're going to go to uh, Secret Guest. Suddenly some flyers appear with the promise of an exciting previously unannounced guest set. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is sort of partly inspired by what Glastonbury do sometimes. They circulate flyers. They book a guest that no one knows about, and then they suddenly appear and go, wow, here we oh. go. Yes, sorry, um, I haven't seen um, so who uh, who who are you going to have as your secret guest to blow um, people's minds? Blow people's minds. I originally I was going to pick. I think if you have those sort of things, it's either going to be someone reforming or yeah. you know kind of hot new act who everyone's clamouring to see. Yeah. Um, and originally I was going to pick Amal and the Sniffers, but one of your previous guests, Erin from the Cosmics, picked them. Right. So uh, I'm going to pick. Have neither a reform. Or a new act. I'm going to pick the Roots. Nice. Because I'm, I've got to admit, I'm not too hip to their records actually, but I saw them at V2005, um, yeah. and I never heard of them. I was waiting. They were in a tent, and I saw. I'd watched Dizzy Rascal, and then Ian Brown was headlining, and I was waiting to see him. And I thought, oh, so I'll stand and watch the Roots. And they came on, and the guy came out and said, "I want to do his accent." He says, oh, "I hope you all understand. You're dealing with the best." Wow, what a thing to say. And then they just played non-stop for 45 minutes. Like they, they'd go out of a song and then come back into it 10 minutes later. They took solos. They did, oh, and I only really having, you know, going to see Ocean Colour Scene. No disrespect to Ocean Colour Scene, but going to see gigs where it's band comes down, song stop, song stop. Mm. To see music presented like that was um, absolutely mind-blowing and was a massive influence on how I looked at playing live. So... Um, I'd really like to see, uh, yeah, I'd really like to see them again. 
Yeah, is is hip hop a, a sort of staple in your your musical taste? Now? Um, it's an occasional one. I t- I tend to prefer tracks rather than whole albums with hip hop. Mm. So I do with a lot of genres anyway. But um, I used to have a mate or a mate's mate who um, was really into underground hip hop. This would be a couple of years before the early two thousands, and so he puts onto some or um, stuff like arsonists and um, I can't remember the other name. Just things like that. So um, I have to be in the mood for it. But when it's good, it's really, really good. You know, there's a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of talk about how sort of hip hop crosses over with punk, so a lot with a lot with the sort of social commentary and that sort of thing. Oh, they say they say grime is the new punk, don't they? Try grime again. Grime's another one where I like. There's a couple of tunes I hear and I love, um, yeah. and the rest doesn't do anything for me. Um, but I tend to, with hip hop, I, I like it when it's got really good lyrics. Um, and really clever lyrics like the uh, like early Wu-Tang stuff, like Jizzer and um, stuff, uh, Method Man. And the underground, mid to late 90s, early noughties stuff. Um, it's got that kind of tough sound, you know, where it's like one sample going round and then some, mm. you know, some really good lyrics. What about sort of recent sort of hip-hop stuff? Like, I mean, I imagine you'd probably, you'd probably be quite into Kendrick Lamar. It's my shame. I haven't really checked him out. I know his stuff. And I'm sure I listened to... Did he have an album called To Pimp a Butterfly? That's like that? right, yeah, yeah. Someone recommended me the Run the Jewels album recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened... I listened to... I was... Um, that most hip-hop of things. I was weird in the drive one Sunday afternoon and was listening to that. I was like, oh, I tend to like it if it's angry, you know, or yeah. confrontational, got that kind of vibe to it. Um, the, the more chill... And I tend to prefer East Coast to West Coast, I think... Oh, we're, going, oh we're, we're, we're doing Coast Divide now, are we? Yeah, well, I'm not too... too uh, I tried listening to The Chronic. tried listening to all that, whatever that synth noise is that they have you know, on Snoop Dogg Records. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one you mean. I can't quite get with that. I pref- I'm, I'll give me um, 36 Chambers over that, I'd say. Yeah. I quite, I quite like that. So It's almost like a modern-day theremin, isn't it? I quite like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that kind of sound. There's the odd good record, like Hypnotize and um, things like that, and California Love, obviously a good, but um, that isn't the sort of music I'd seek out to go and listen to. I think I think you get a kick out of Kendrick, definitely. I'll go and check out to Pimper Butterfly. You get a kick out of that, I reckon. I was listening to a good one um, yesterday. No, it was just recently, and I was trying to think yesterday who it was, and it's one of those big names, and I can't remember for the life of me what his name was. It's got like a kind of a luminous cover. Oh, I don't know about covers. I don't know cover art, like um, cover art. <laughs> Not these days. You don't. You don't. I don't see enough cover art nowadays. <laughs> that's the sad thing about streaming. It's um, you spend ages doing cover art, and it's uh, never gets held. <laughs> yeah, 120 by 120 pixels or whatever. Okay. Well, you've had a bit of the roots. It's now time to get something to eat. Do you like your food, Sean? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> so it's all right. <laughs> I, I cook. I cook more as I, I used to live on sort of uh, cheese sandwiches and ready meals, but um, I cook a lot more these days. Um, yeah. And I've been pescatarian for about eighteen months. Oh yeah. Does that mean that you eat more fish than you used to, or uh, no? Definitely, I, I used to hate fish. I used to have a very. Uh, I used to be a really picky eater. My taste diverts. I wouldn't call myself a foodie because people all bang on about food, and I. Oh, I went to this restaurant and I had this. I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so festival food. Yeah, you get to, you get to choose anything you want. You know, the chef can well, rustle up anything you want. Okay. Well, if, if this place, if this is a modern festival, it's going to be full of pretty pretentious and expensive street food in it. That's not necessarily a bad thing because um, it's my dream festival. I can afford it as well. That's exactly. Exactly. Quite, quite fancy something, some Indian street food, maybe some masala fish or something like that. Hmm. Nice masala fish. Yes. I went down. You know that place, Livery Street. I went yeah. there after we'd done some filming because we had a studio nearby. That's the only time I think I've had masala fish was down there, and it was. Mm. Yeah, I love some of that. Good, good stuff. Okay, stuff. we got your masala fish. Is it on a skewer? What do they serve it in these days? I was just the invention. Yeah, I think they can skewer it, and then I was. I was the masala's a sauce, isn't it? I think. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't, yeah. I'm, not sure. I'm envisaging. I can't get me words. That invisible. I'm imagining, uh, yeah. <laughs> imagining one of those polystyrene, polyfoam um, takeaway trays. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a with a wooden fork. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm imagining. Uh, that's you, that's what you can have. That's what's there. Oh, well, so you can okay. Well, you're tucking into your masala fish, and while you're eating, the stage has been set up, and someone is about to come in on and do an acoustic set. 
So it can okay. be an acoustic artist or a non-acoustic artist, but they're in an acoustic set. Who's going to serenade you while you eat your masala fish? Again, Erin from the Cosmics already beat me to this one. But, um, oh, damn you, Erin. But I can't, I'm, I can't substitute this one. Um, so I'm going to have Joni Mitchell. Very good. Because her music is... She's someone... been aware of her music for a while. I had, I've had, I found Blue in a bargain book years ago. And so it was like... Mm. Oh, that's a classic album. It's a quid. I'll have that and see what it's like. Um, but it's only recently, really, that I've really come to appreciate how good she is or was in the 70s. Um, particularly, there's an album called The Hissing of Summer Lawns from that's 75. There's some songs in there I can just listen to 10 times in a row. She's got this... She's one of those artists who just creates her own musical world, you know, and the quality of the chords and the melodies and the arrangements. Although you wouldn't have so many arrangements if she was acoustic. But, uh, yeah, she did some... Uh, Incredible albums. There's Hissing of Summer Lawns, and there's the one after called Hegira, I think it's called. Um, and she had uh, Jacko Pistorius on bass. And oh, really? so it's, yeah, so the quality, the, the musicianship is. You can go and grab Jacko as well when you can come and play yeah, bass for him. Yeah, uh, Journey Mitchell on a acoustic or on a piano. And I think you, on the podcast, was listening to, you were talking about her tunings as well. And mm. just, I think I've found, I found a way to get chords like her. Um, on the piano, but um, yeah. I don't know about the guitar tunes. There's a lot of major sevens, but on the piano, you basically have to play two two different chords, one in each hand. Right. And if you play the right combination, it, it's got that sort of otherworldly, expansive, beautiful sound that she's got. So sounds like a perfect accompaniment to fish. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that sounds that sounds like a, a great sit down meal we're now going to go on to the local acts right so we're going to give some props to to birmingham as you're a birmingham boy um so it could be a legendary band an established current band or an up-and-coming band you know someone that you want to give some festival exposure to um but you can't choose your own band unfortunately as, as great as that would be yeah uh, to be fair i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of glad because if we were playing i wouldn't be able to concentrate or relax and enjoy it you know so <laughs> really rushing around going oh it's me worrying about am i in tune is the string gonna break you know <laughs> yeah, i'll finish my, finish my masala fish it's <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who, who are you rating much as i would love to pick an up-and-coming band um i'm gonna have to go for the beat ah very nice because again a lot of the thing with there's some bands i really like um around at the moment and um, that Cherry Pickles are great, and the Pagans and the Paper Boys and mm. loads of great people. But I only know one or two tunes, and mm. you know this is me uh, Dream Festival, so I almost picked Steel Pulse. Would have been good, because, yeah. yeah, because I'm really missing. I realised the other day we've not been able to gig and go to festivals. I'm really missing live bass. Oh really? <laughs> you know that feeling when it hits you. You know that feeling yeah. when it hits you in the chest. You can't get it in your living room. And uh, I can kind of get it in the car, but at the risk of uh, <laughs> myself. And my speakers can only take so much. Yeah, I've not had that chest-bursting feeling for a long time now. Yeah, just, no. just reminding me about that. But I think the beat, I mean, the beat I love. And they'd have a fair bit of bass as well, I think. And they, they'd just, well, they'd go great at a festival, wouldn't they? It's, I think I think you're absolutely right there, Sean. So um, if it's a festival, you want people who are going to put on a show and bring great tunes. You don't want kind of people who come and just stand there looking fashionably bored, you know what I mean? Just stand still, staring at their shoes. That's my take on it anyway. You know, uh, Sounds like a good one. I think mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's a good shout, the beat. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sean. Hello. A hand has just appeared on your shoulder. You're being accosted mm-hmm. by security. Oh. And you're like, do you not know who I am? I'm, I'm Sean Hand. This is my festival. And they're like, just that come with me. Works. It usually works, yeah, but not this time. And they're going to escort you backstage to a compound oh. where waiting just for you is someone you get to spend an hour with. And during this hour, you get to hang out, you get to ask some questions, have a drink, and generally have a laugh with. Who is it you've always liked to, to meet and hang out with? It's got to be Joe Strummer, I think. Joe Strummer, excellent. You just seem like the man. Like, really, when you see... Um, I was watching a film uh, recently that was... I think it was being made just before he died. It was released after he died. Um, and it's he's on the road promoting what was his last album. And there's he just seemed such a... I'm sure he could be a horrible person but as well sometimes. But, um, yeah, he's just intelligent and passionate and seemed like a great guy. I'm, st- I'm still upset he died and I never met him. And he's been dead 20 years, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think people forget he died 
I mean, it was only what fifty, fifty-two, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, I remember, I remember seeing it on the news. It was just before Christmas two thousand and two. That so long ago. Was, wow. Yeah, that's it. so. I was, I would have been eighteen at the time. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, then fifty-two seems, you know, quite old. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not now. <laughs> yeah, the, the closer you get to it, the more you realise. But um, I was looking enough. I did get to see him live supporting the Who about 2000. So I got to, you know, be in the same room as him and see him live, albeit from a distance. Yeah, he'd be, uh, he'd be great. He'd be a real, he's a real hero of mine, sir. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd ask him specifically? I think what I do, what I usually do, when I've met people who I admire, I usually uh, make a point of asking them to recommend me uh, a great record to listen to or okay. great books to go and read or something. So I'd just be uh, yeah, badgering him for... Uh, for recommendations. Bad- recommendations, yeah. And you, you get the feeling that he'd, he'd be someone that would have the finger on the pulse, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. And he'd come out with some like, mad shit you'd never... Uh, <laughs> he'd come out with something you'd never heard of. Because he did a series on the World Service, mm. where he was just playing his favourite records. And they're so diverse. It's, have, it was like a banger, then a rockabilly tune, then house music, and then hip-hop, then cage, and then some sort of um, African funk. And it's just incredibly diverse and yeah. cool as well. Awesome. Okay, well, Joe's going to go off into the night and you're going to return to your festival. Mm-hmm. It's time now for the intimate set. So there's a tent that holds around 30 people, so it's a bit of a squeeze. Who would you like to go and see up close and personal within touching distance? This is one I've struggled with or I had a lot of um, ideas for, but I think I'd probably go for Marvin Gaye. Nice. I think, because um, yeah. having seen, if you watch bits of him live, sometimes he can be a bit showy. I've got David Ibbin playing at the Montreux Jazz Festival. Some of it's amazing, and then other bits, it gets a bit kind of cabaret. But I think, having seen other bits of him from the early 70s, doing what's going on, stuff like that. If you put him in a tent with just a small band and a piano, then he'd be amazing. And you get to hear his voice up close as well. It's- yeah, I think, personally, greatest singer that ever lived. Mm, I, me personally. I, I think I in fact I know I agree with you there because he's always my answer and when people talk about best singers is the fact he did all his own harmonies as well yeah and the thing the thing that really swung it for me was I saw uh, it must have been a documentary uh, it might have been about just about him actually and there was a clip of him in the rehearsal room and he was just lying on a settee just lying I, down yes I've seen that and he was just singing as powerfully as he would have been if he was stood up Mm. Um, and, and as a singer, I know how difficult it is to sing sitting down, lying yeah. down, yeah. and fully stood up. And he just sounded immaculate lying down oh. on a set. He just chilled. Yeah. Have you ever heard um, the album he did called Vulnerable? I think I have, but it's been a yeah, while. Kind of the uh, the one where it's all just an orchestra in the background. Mm, yeah. And that really, because um, I think. I'm, if I remember rightly, reading in the notes, he kind of he wanted to be like um, like a Nat King Cole or someone like that, like sing uh, mm. American songbook and all that kind of thing. And that was his attempt to do it, and he shelved it twice, I think. And then it didn't yeah. get released until he'd been until the nineties. They've been dead about fifteen years. Yeah, but um, yeah, his voice on that's incredible. I mean, his voice on what's going on is incredible, and the sixties stuff, and even at the end. All his eighties stuff, it still sounds amazing. It still sounds great. I mean I'm not I'm not a massive fan of sexual healing and that sort of stuff. It's a bit uh... There is a great on that album, um, there's a great tune called Joy, which I think yeah. was possibly a single. Um yeah. the single mix if you can find that. Because it's not on any stream platforms. I've always got the album version, but the single version is amazing. But I think his late stuff gets a maybe gets an unfair rap because of sexual healing. Probably does. It's kind of like kind of like a common Eileen is for Dexys, you know, maybe a bit of an albatross or something. But um, <laughs> some of the stuff he was working on just before he died as well, it's really, really good. Yeah, well, that sounds good. Marvin Gaye in a in a small tent with a full band. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. okay. All right, we're going on to this is this is my one of my favourite questions actually. This is the full album performance. Ah, yeah. So, whose album would you like to hear played in its entirety by the artist? After having about five different answers, I've come down on Speaking in Tongues by Talking Heads. Ah, Talking Heads. Mm. Someone who's appeared on this podcast before. After, who, what yeah. did they pick to... Um, uh, wait, it was, it, was, it was the opening of the show, actually. Okay, that's an interesting one. 
Yeah. Yeah, good opener, especially if you had them doing it um, stop making sense style. It was that exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was watching yeah. a bit of that last night, and that's that film is kind of why I picked Speaking in Tongues over Fear of Musical Remaining Light, which Remaining Light might be the more obvious one. But yeah, Speaking in Tongues, I'm. It's an amazing album. All the tracks have got like a really good hook to them, or several good hooks to them. I love the sounds of that kind of. It's that thing before the eighties got two eighties, if you know. What I mean. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> Those damn eighties did go two eighties, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think around about that time, music to me always sounds great when it's on the cusp of the next thing. Mm. So it's like Revolver is just before psychedelia and you've got that excitement of the next thing that's coming yeah and i think speaking in tongues has that it's kind of got some of those 80s you know it's like the excitement of having these synths and this clean it's weird it's almost like um it's almost like an aspirational sound it makes me think of like toggly in new york tower blocks and mm. or one mate i played it to didn't like it called it executive funk <laughs> oh, i like it i like executive funk it's, yeah it's, it's, Maybe, um, it's better than middle management funk. It's like landfill indie in it for us. <laughs> um, yeah, next time I hear some bad eighties like jazz funk wannabes, that's you've done it. You've invented a or you've labelled yeah, labelled the genre. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, talking there. The great thing about speaking tongue, speaking in tongues as well. Is I think it's got a couple of tunes on that people love, but they don't necessarily know mm. know that they know it. So because um, we was playing, um, we was watching it the other night, and um, Burning Down the House came on, and Becca ah, yeah. loved this song, but she didn't know, you know, it's talking. It's the same with um, yeah. CW start, and then this must be the place at the end. And you've got tunes like Pull Up the Roots and Making Flippy Floppy. And brilliant album so you're making me want to listen to talking heads now originally my original choice was um black star by david bowie oh. um, he left field but um one way he died didn't he die like the day after it came out or yeah li- literally the day after yeah so he never got to perform it live so i think it would be amazing to see it live and i think it's one of his best albums yeah. um but then i was in the car and I stuck Fear of Music on. And I was like, I haven't got Talking Heads on at this festival. And, you know, they, I mean, you watch live footage of them. Either Stop Making Sense or there's a video of them playing in Rome, playing in Light Era, which is just incredible. And so, yeah, again, they've been an amazing show to watch as well as being great music. Good answer, man. Okay, well, Talking Heads have uh, finished, uh, finished the album off. The sun is starting to go down. The party is about to really begin now. The headline is getting ready. First, someone to get you warmed up. Uh, mm. Now, I always think there's two ways you can go with this. You can right. go with a kind of a chilled out as the sun going down, melancholic kind of thing, or mm. you can go on full on party mode to get really revved up for the headliner. So, which way are you going to go on this? We're going to go the latter. Okay. Um, and we're going to go someone mentioned earlier, which is uh, Rasheen Murphy. Okay. It's that thing if you're going to a festival for me, you just you want to see great music and you want to see a show you want to you know a spectacle as well as hearing great tunes um, I, I suppose you want to have a dance as well presumably and a dance as well uh, and she's like I say she's definitely one of the best gigs I've been to and definitely the biggest spectacle because she was um, she was doing an outfit change practically every song yeah yeah she's and like, those, like, yeah, she had just like if I remember rightly she had kind of hats and scarves draped over a microphone and then you know she died put a headdress on and do something and take that off and put a coat on. and So, yeah, and she's one of those people, even though I don't, I mean, we're always dancing around to Ruby Blue in the kitchen, overpowered and stuff like that. Even though I wouldn't necessarily say that I listen to her albums all the time, if you were at a festival, she'd just be perfect for putting you in a good mood and, and just coming away going, wow, that was, you know, that was amazing. I think you're right there. I think the time is certainly now. Oh, yes. That was, <laughs> it's hard because I didn't like Malaka. No. I mean, sort of, yeah, I mean, I suppose they come on in the radio. I suppose that that particular song got overplayed, didn't it? Really good. It was more my taste because at the time I was a teenager and I was very much. You were punking off. it up, weren't you, Sean? Well, I was into the jam and the pistols and yeah. stuff. Um, but then I got dragged into the kind of the whole Oasis, um, Roses kind of thing. 
And it wasn't until I met Hayley, the singer in Fabric, in 2008, I think. And I went round her house one day and she had the first Rasheen Murphy album playing, track Ruby Blue. And I was like, wow, what's this? This is amazing. So I was Rasheen Murphy. So I was like, the one from Loco, yeah. And, and that was it, just hearing that and other things that Hayley played because she came from a completely different world mm. musically. She was into like, Portishead and Lamb and Massive Attack, stuff that I'd heard of, but I, like I, said, I was more in this indie kind of rock, indie rock punk sort of tradition. It just yeah. opened up a whole new world. So, uh, mm. Excellent stuff. Okay, well, Rasheen Murphy is finished off at the set, and it is now time for your headliner, Sean. Who uh-huh. is the main attraction, and who is going to close the show? Uh, well, we've already mentioned one of them, uh, The Clash. Got a headline. I don't think I don't think you can have anyone else, really, from my point of view. No, I guess not. Um, just, so, you, I mean, you mentioned you saw uh, Joe. Was that was that a solo thing? Uh, yeah, he was with the Mescalaros at the time. Oh, uh, right, okay. Um, so, yeah, that would have been sometime late 2000. But, yeah, the Clash just... I was born in 1984, so I didn't get to see him. But the, the footage is just incredible. They just seem to me like the best live band ever. You know, mm. there's, uh, there's footage of them doing... Um, there's a video of them doing Clampdown off London Calling. And it, it like, it puts a lump in me throat every time I watch it, you know. It's yeah. sort of, they're just so, just so intense and passionate and great lyrics and style and you know, they just had everything live you know mm. you listen to the live albums and it's incredible just the power they had you know and they weren't yeah. too concerned about you hear mistakes you hear a wrong chord or you go out of tune or forget a lyric or whatever it, it doesn't matter you know it's just mm. the overall power of it is so great mm. so, sounds uh, good to me sounds good yeah so you're gonna you're gonna go and grab the clash from where 1978 ish uh, oh no, a bit like I'd bit say earlier. it's it's difficult because I prefer their late. No, I don't prefer the late stuff. But I think if you pick the later one, you'd have more songs to pick from. But then they got rid of their drummer. You want to hear what the Casbah, don't you, Sean? Possibly. <laughs> you know you do. Uh, I mean, my wife says that song always reminds reminds her of me. Uh, oh really? <laughs> yeah, it's, dancing to it in snobs in the early days. Yeah. Um, I think I'd say about nineteen eighty one. When, which was the year they did um, a massive residency in New York at Bonds Casino. They were, was it, they were meant to, only meant to do so many dates. And they oversold by so much, they ended up doing a two week residency or something like that. All right. Possibly. And they had people like Grandmaster Flash supporting them, the four, all that stuff. And I think at that point, they were probably, possibly at their life peak at that point, because they were so fluid as well, because um, they jam and they drag things out and they, sort of dub things up and probably at the most inventive at that point so that'd be a good point to have alright well the lights are going to go down on stage uh, someone mentions there's a jam session happening around a campfire up the hill so they invite you to go along and bring your guitar if you want mm-hmm. when you get there there's someone totally unexpected there and they want to jam with you throughout the night ironically enough this question was sort of inspired by Joe Strummer actually because he used to have the campfire at Glastonbury mm-hmm. which everyone used to yeah. go up to um, so who I mean, you might pick Joe Strummer again, but who are you going to jam with in front of the uh, campfire to bring your festival to a close? I'm going to pick Alice Coltrane and her harp. Oh, that came out of left field. I'm a 36-year-old dad these days, you know. Late nights aren't really my... <laughs> yeah, tell me about really my, my scene. Um, but I think after having all day of um, and having watched Rasheen Murphy and The Clash back-to-back, yeah. you're going to be a bit blown. You're going to want to just wind down and... Um, yeah, your masala fish is probably worn off by that it's, point as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm going to need a top. I might need a halloumi burger or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love, absolutely love Alice Coltrane's music, especially the album Journey in Sachadananda. I think I pronounced that right, where she's playing a harp. Yeah, and I think it'd just be a really beautiful way to wind down um, after the intensity of uh, Mad Festival. Uh, and plus, you, thinking about it, you've always got round a campfire at two in the morning. I mean, you've been to festivals, you know there's always someone who's bought a guitar who can't sing who's going to perform anyway so uh, yep no one's going to no have bought a harp are they and it's <laughs> it's a bit cumbersome isn't it <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that I mean I mean, people bring pianos to, to Glastonbury that, that I've seen there's a guy that's um, he's got one of those flat back pianos and he's, oh, he's, he's he's hooked it up to a bike so he's playing it while cycling Wow. He's, just, he's going sideways down the street and playing, playing, playing tunes. It's like... We did a festival, when would this be, about seven years ago. And I can't remember what it was called. Alchemy, that was what it was called, up in Lincolnshire somewhere. 
Mm. Um, and we actually powered one of the stages, or the audience powered one of the stages on, by going on bikes. They had, um, we had the little stage and a row of bikes next to it and people taking turns and pedal, and that would power a generator that would power the PA. Yeah. So if no one turned up to your gig, you're not playing. Is that how it works? You know what? I didn't think of that. <laughs> it's a good job you don't have to, it I suppose. If an acoustic artist plays in the woods and no one rides a bike, does anyone hear them? <laughs> All right. Well, Alice Coltrane with a harp around the campfire. Uh, that sounds like a wonderful way to round things off. But... um one thing uh, you get to do also is you get, from all the people you've picked so far, you get to get on stage with one of them and play one song. Who are you going to play with and which song are you going to play? Oh, Jesus. I really don't know. I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare step on stage with The Clash. Um, I mean, you can if you want. It's, I just, I know, even in my, it, yeah, it's... Uh, all, the, all these people are happy for you to come and join them. Yeah. That's, that's part of the no, deal. I couldn't, I, I couldn't keep up. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd probably be I'd probably be happiest and least nervous getting on stage with the beat I think yeah um, and the whole brummy thing yeah. uh, I, God knows because some of their songs use open tunings as well which you wouldn't think actually but um, what song would I play with them I think I'd have to play a song called Doors of Your Heart by the beat which um, it's one of my favourite songs and one we're always putting on and dancing around to around here. Yeah, I think I'd have to go with that because I've met, I've actually, our old band, the Blue Beat Orchestra, actually supported um, the beat. Oh, did you? Um, yeah, at the at the main academy in Birmingham about mm. six years ago. And it was, because um, there was two versions of the beat, isn't there? Or, yeah. or there was, sorry. Um, so, there was yeah, Rank's yeah. beat and there was Dave Wakeling's beat. He lives in America. And it was the first time he'd been over to play in years. Because I remember Dave, cut an email off Dave one morning saying, oh, uh, Birmingham promoters have been in touch. They've offered us this gig supporting this guy called Dave Wakelin. I'm not really, let's just leave it. And I was like, Dave, that's the beat. That's the beat. <laughs> Google that quickly. Hang on. Yeah, it's definitely the beat. Oh, my God. So I was like, quick, Dave, you've got to say this. Uh, yeah. Unsend, unsend. <laughs> yes. Um, but we went and we played. It was us and Kyoko, who were the um, support acts. Oh, yeah. They were, they were still called Tempting Rose at the time, I think. And the beat had Roddy Radiation from the specials with them as well, guesting. Mm. So, so I rolled up with me beat record, um, one of my beat albums, looking to get it signed. Didn't meet Dave Wakeling, didn't manage to bump into Dave Wakeling at all the whole time. So I got it. And then at the end, when they came off stage, um, one thing led to another. I ended up on the tour bus with him. I had like a private audience for about five or ten minutes. Nice. Was, um, I, I, I absolutely floated home afterwards, man. I was like, yeah. Tell me a story about the Villa kit as well, because I know you're a Villa fan. I am, yes. He was right. You can tell he does it a lot because Dave Wakeling, because he, um, he was rolling out all his anecdotes about when REM had supported them. And or, I think Randy Lerner still owned Villa at the time. But he said, and it's, he said where he lived. Wherever he lived in America, he was mates with Randy Lerner, who was also a massive two-time fan. Really? Yeah, which, possi- which possibly influenced buying Villa in the first place. But it's also Ooh. the reason that one season Villa had, you know, that two-tone parent blue thing, stripe up yeah. with a That was, it was a two-tone reference because Randy Lerner was a... Wow, wow you, learn, you learn something new every day. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's my, that's my rock star anecdote about... about 10 year old villa kids. But, uh, nice. I never, and then I, apparently I walked past Frankie Maratra in the Hare and Hounds once. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> and never, because we were supporting Gentlemen's Dub Club, them, and they were on his label. Yeah, and someone said later, so, so I can't, didn't get to see Frankie Maratra there. And they were like, he was there in the bar, you walked straight past him. <laughs> Whoops. Did get to see them at the town hall, though. Actually, saw them twice, but Frankie Maratra's been there. Fucking amazing. Mm. Not long gone too soon. Mm. Okay, well let's let's not uh, let's not try and end on a downer. We're going to now yeah. put together we're going to put together your fantasy band lineup. You can choose any sort of any lineup you want, any instrumentation you want. What, what do you think you're going to go for, sort of instrumentation wise? Sort of a classic guitar, bass, drums, folks. I suppose, yeah. I mean, I'm I'd forgotten to think about this. <laughs> <Been> too <laughs> obsessing over which albums to pick too much. Um, <laughs> well, you got to have drums. Uh, well, you don't have to have drums. I'm in a band without a drummer, but um, that's true. That's true. Uh, would like some drums. Let's start with who are great players. I'd have Paul McCartney on bass. Nice, because he I get a lot. Um, well, he gets a lot of stick, and I get some stick sometimes for um, repping for him. But I preferred him over Lennon. I'll be honest. Um, well, I preferred his songs I, over Lennon's. I used to be more in the Lennon camp when I was mm. a lot younger. 
the more I learn about music, uh, the more I want to or had analysed the Beatles and realised how wonderfully his songs are put together. Especially the late Beatles stuff. It's and you think he was twenty three or something when he wrote She's Living Home. But in the Beatles I think it was a mix of the two of them. I think he's I mean, all the Beatles solo screens were hit and miss. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, I think there's a bit of a false narrative that Chuck Lennon was this amazing rocker, you know, he he made a load of middle of the road ta- <laughs> during his solo. But I'd have McCartney on bass because when you look at his bass lines in the Beatles, there you can hear the isolated ones on YouTube. You know a lot of them. Oh, can you? I don't know how. I don't know how someone's done it, but there's this guy at the moment, and he the videos are all called "Deconstructing Such and Such a Song," mm. and it's each because they were on four track. It's each track in turn, and some of the bass lines are in. You don't realise how much is in them. Sorry, so yeah, so... Carney on bass. Uh, Got to have Bill Evans on piano. Cool. The great jazz pianist. Who else? I think Marvin's going to have to make a comeback for vocals, you know. I think that's uh, probably fair, isn't it? We've, uh, we've, already, we've already dubbed him the greatest singer of all time, so it'd be yeah, uh, so remiss not to include him. <laughs> yeah, it depends what vibe you want to go. Because you could have Otis, you could have Sam Cooke. Um, yeah. Aretha Franklin. Um, guitar, see, even though I'm a guitarist, I'm not a great one for guitar heroes, really. And yet you're a guitar player, Sean, what's going on? Yeah. How did you get into, into guitar? Um, was it by listening to anyone? or Being, being obsessed with the jam, really. All right. Like, loving music anyway, but particularly just basically when I was about, when I was, well, 11 or 12. Yeah, probably millions of kids over time. I just wanted to be Paul Weller, I think. So it's, which some people might say I still do, but um, yeah, well maybe. Um, but you can you can you can bang well on guitar because you can provide some backing yeah, no, for you. I don't, I don't know if he, I, I don't know if he, he he just suits what he does at the given time. You know, it's yeah. it's right for him. Um, but I think he'd also he'd fit in with a soul singer and with would, with a Paul McCartney bassline. Yeah, oh, that's true. Part of me, part of me doesn't want to pick him because I've written a book on the jam. I don't. <laughs> Does seem, it's some sort of weird logic. Who do I love as, no, I'll tell you who I love as a guitar player. It'd be, it's be a very weird band. Keith Levine from Pill. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> weird, yeah. yeah, so we'd have McCart, like the most fluid melodicist ever, and Keith Levine. Keith Levine, um, nice. <laughs> I love, uh, that's the kind of guitar playing I love. People like him, um, Viv Albertine from The Slits, guy from Magazine, whose name I can't pronounce. I don't know about drummers, really. You don't have to have a drummer. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'd say I really want a drummer because otherwise it's, it's, someone's got to hold this sort of hold this thing together. Haven't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean we could have. We can't really have Keith move. Why not? Because he's he, that. That would be too mad. <laughs> Can you imagine Keith? Oh, I don't know. Why not? Actually, no, no, I'll tell you what, I, I tell a lie. No, but I'll have Keith Moon because I've realised I've mentioned YouTube about seven trillion times, which tells you how I spend my evenings. But um, <laughs> there's a video of The Who playing, and it's not long before Keith Moon um, died. It's one of the last gigs he did with The Who. Mm. And they're playing away. And at one point, he goes, at one point, they all go out of time. Yeah. Someone someone misses a key or something. They all go completely out of time. Keith Moon just smacks his snare, and they all just come back in on him. And it's I don't that's I don't know if that's just more for the who being um, able to play together. But yeah, once you've listened to Keith, he's just playing everything all the time at yeah. once. It's just like yeah, just hit everything on every beat. I think I think that's a, yeah, that's a great shout, man. Yeah. So what have we got? We have got Keith Moon, Paul McCartney, Keith Levine, Marvin Gaye, Bill Evans. <laughs> Sounds good. Any anyone else you want to throw uh, in there? Well, we seem to be going down some avant-garde cacophony route, don't we? So we better throw John Coltrane in as well. <laughs> Coltrane as well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> just that, to round it all off, wonderful. Yeah, just to, um, that, yeah, that'll be quite a, uh, quite a din. Well, that's, yeah. Sean, that sounds like a, a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful band. So it's, uh, yeah, so the, uh, your, your train is, is arriving at New Street for you to go off and, uh, get yourself, uh, on the buffet cart, get yourself some grub, a few beers. After your festival, uh, before you go, um, where can people keep up to date and uh, like pre-order your book from and stuff? For um, Fabric, you can find us on all the social media things as Fabric the Band, or one word, it's about F A B R I K. Bookwise, you can pre-order the book on Amazon. Mm. I'm afraid uh, <laughs> <laughs> other booksellers are available. Actually, the best thing to do would probably be um, you can 
find me on Twitter because the publisher insisted that I go on there after I swore I'd never go back. It's a bit of a human dustbin. but uh, yeah, Just when you thought I'm, you got out, they drag you back in. I'm on there and... What's your Twitter handle? It's My Twitter handle is Sean Hand Author, or one thing. Sean spelled S-H-A-U-N. Cool, man. Well, I'll put all this in the... Uh, in the description as well, so people can uh, can find you. But Sean, thank you very much, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Pete. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> nice one, man. Carbon blast. So much I got a really hoarse throat. <laughs> so, much, <laughs> so much for drinking that chai and honey before. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, man. Well, there we have it. That was what would have been the Patreon episode, free of charge for all you lovely, lovely Dreamfesters out there. You can sign up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash dreamfestpod for bonus material with previous guests, including the wonderful Catherine Pretty, the brilliant Benjamin Cross, the fantabulous Neil Jones, and the sublime St. Alto. You get the episodes warts and all, like, for instance, in this episode with Hattie the Catty making a cameo. Usually I'd cut that out, but you're getting podcast gold this week. And, of course, the bonus questions as well, like Sean's ultimate band lineup and who's going to hang out with backstage. My thanks once again to Sean for his time. Uh, the links for his books, as promised. As we heard, his pop art poems book, uh, which is that song by song of the jam, was unfortunately sold out as it was self-published and was limited to a 1,000 copies. Probably worth a fair bit in a few years, actually. So keep your eyes open for those, just in case it appears on... I don't know, uh, eBay or something. Um, if you register enough interest, maybe his current publishers will think about another run. Uh, his current book, The Sadness of the King George, is available at all good book retailers, including Amazon and Goodreads, via his publishers, Abad Press Inc. And his book of poetry, collected along with illustrations from Tom Hicks, called The New Brutalism, of which we heard an excerpt from, is available via kateshillpress.com. Uh, the link will be in this description. I don't know if it's Kate Shill or Kate's Hill, but it's Kate Shill press.com or kateshillpress.com either way you'll find it anyway the, the, the link will be there just have a look at the link uh, go also and get copies of Sean's musical work with Fabrique from fabricktheband.co.uk or they have a bandcamp at fabricktheband.bandcamp.com Fabrique is spelt F-A-B-R-I-K so fabricktheband.bandcamp.com they're a great band who I've had a pleasure of seeing live a few times actually and I look forward to seeing you all at the next one when we can all get some live music in our ears and eyes again um, my thanks to Jane Powell for the music to Rich Farmer for for the artwork and to the Brum Radio podcast channel for hosting and to you for listening. Join me next time for another super duper guest. Uh, I haven't decided who it was going to be yet. So I've got a few in the can and a few more to record too. But until next time, remember, if you book them, they will come. Goodbye. <laughs>